Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. I thought he was the one. We all thought he was the one. Everyone did. There was a party, and we were all, we were all there, and, and some woman comes in, and she has a bottle of perfume, a, a expensive perfume, and she just pours it all over him. She did that because she thought he was the one. What a waste. We could have sold that perfume and used the money for a greater purpose. I tried to tell him as much, but he came back at me insinuating that he was the purpose. Even so, I believed he was the one. I believed that he was gonna turn everything upside down. I, 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 just, I just knew it. I mean, people would have followed him anywhere. All he had to do was just say the word, but he wouldn't say the word. Instead, he, my time has not yet come. That's what he would say over and over to me. My time has not yet come. Are you kidding me? He was raising people from the dead for crying out loud. He was healing the blind, producing food out of thin air. My time has not yet come. So I forced his hand. I made his time come. Things needed to push, and I was the only one that had the courage to do it. We were all up there eating. We were all up there. He looks across the table to me, and he says, get on with it. How, how did he know what I was going to do? about the money. It was not about the money. It's just when you have that kind of power that he has, why wouldn't you leverage it to forward, to forward the agenda? People listen to him. You know the sound a wave makes after it hits the shore? and how quiet it gets after a few seconds when it stops. That was Jesus. When he spoke, it was like a, a rolling wave. And the crowd's listening They were the hush at the end of the wave. Because when he spoke and you were there in his presence, there was no doubt in anyone's mind he was the one.
God. What have I done? What have I done? Good morning, brother. We know from the Gospels that Jesus Christ attracted large crowds on many occasions. His miracles, his actions, his healings were very attractive for the people, for the crowds, and, and then call for a lot of attention. But at one point in his ministry, many of his disciples actually became offended and left him. What they found previously attractive now seemed different because Jesus was talking about death. And his speech to many of them was disappointing and offensive. So many of them left him because he did not meet their expectations. Today, we're going to be looking at that. And we're going to ask the question, why did they leave him? Was it because Jesus failed in his ministry, as many people would think today? But even more importantly, would we, in the same circumstances, also be among those who left him? We will learn that discipleship cannot be superficial, nor self-serving. And that we need to evaluate our motives for being Christians, especially when being Christian becomes hard and difficult, or we have questions that remain unanswered. We will see that we need to be faithful, even when we don't quite understand what really is going on. But let's get to the passage for today that is in John 6. We're continuing actually from last week. John 6 and beginning with verse 56. He who, who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard these, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew that from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, we have already addressed the meaning of Jesus' words, those cryptic words in many ways, last week in a message um, entitled Living in Him. Today, we're going to concentrate on the response of the people to his words and on the meaning of Christian discipleship. And we will begin to address it from right after the words of Jesus, which we just reviewed for a moment to reconnect with them in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Now, these disciples, they heard the word of Jesus, but did not accept him. Some tend to read their own presuppositions in Jesus' words, what their own ideas, their own thoughts. Instead of listening and seeking to understand what he said and what he actually meant. Chesterton once wrote, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. So the problem is not following Christ. The problem is in regarding following Christ as being too hard and not even wanting to try it. That is actually an apt description of the disinterest of many people even today. Too many people follow Jesus with the idea that it's all just to feel good or to be blessed. They're bound to, to be disappointed, however, just like those disciples who found Jesus' speech about the cross offensive. And that is because living in this fallen world, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for anyone, including the Christians. Being Christians does not take us out of this world, but he calls us to find meaning in Christ, who is actually the truth, and to find the truth in him. Let's read verses 61 and 62. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, stumbling was a common figure of speech for, that was used for sinning or falling away from the faith. And Jesus here in verse 62 was using a typical how much more type of Jewish argument, meaning and saying in essence, if you cannot bear the message of a cross, how much more difficult will you, difficulty will you have with the resurrection and the ascension. Of course, they did not understand. And as we read here, they kept complaining. It kind of reminds me of a class. I have been teaching for a while, and, and I have noticed that in any given group in a classroom, you will see the students progressing for a while. But then as the learning gets harder, because the topic progresses and becomes progressively more difficult, you also see some of the students dropping out. And that's what this reminds me of. 
people are more than willing to follow Jesus Christ when, when they get something out of it, when they find that it is convenient for them perhaps, or to feel good or just be blessed. But when the teaching of Jesus becomes a little more serious, a little more difficult, or when Jesus warns us about certain things, then, then they keep tending to drop out. But you see, discipleship is so much more than just saying the right things or belonging to a group. It is actually a matter of identity, who we really are. And based on that identity, the faithful communion, the oneness, the, the, the connection that we have with Jesus Christ, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Being Christian is not a superficial matter. A true disciple is one who accepts Jesus Christ and his death for us, which was the way to his resurrection and to the ascension to the Father. But that theology, however, was not attractive at all to the people of his days. Paul himself later stated that the cross is foolishness to this world. But a comment needs to be made about taking offense. I know that it is possible, and I have seen it, unfortunately, that for, for us to be offensive in the way that we share the gospel. And that would be definitely wrong. But if we present Jesus honestly, lovingly, correctly, we should not be surprised if the truth of the gospel offends some people. But the key to that is the fact that it is the truth that offends the people, not us or what we do. Because if it is us or what we do, then it means we're not doing it right. Now the question needs to be asked, why were these people some of his disciples offended. Well, we know from, from the Gospels that they wanted him to be their king, but he would not be that. They dreamed of a new political party. They wanted Jesus to fight the Romans and send them away from Judea and free Judea from their control or their dominion. Most wanted to benefit from his miracles. But Jesus instead, he called for personal faith. He talked about our human inability and our salvation being entirely and completely a work of God and not something that we can do by fighting or achieve or accomplish with our own works. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now this statement, incidentally, is what provides the key to interpret Jesus' speech, Jesus' comments and, and words correctly. He was not speaking literally as we have seen last week in the previous message. He was speaking spiritually. So we need to look at the spiritual meaning of his words and not the physical meaning. The statement made here is that the flesh, which is a symbol of our humanity, is really not the goal of our life. In fact, it is nothing. 
People who live for the flesh do not understand the love of God and His life-giving way. Because God is the source of true life, all life. And accepting the way of Jesus is what the Spirit enables us to do. And it is the way of the Holy Spirit. The true life that we are called to is a work of the Holy Spirit in us and no human wisdom, no human work can ever equate that or can ever replace that. Let's go to verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. That always makes me think. It always calls me to pause and ponder this because Jesus knew that Judas eventually would betray him. And yet, Jesus still included him in every aspect of his ministry. And the reason why that calls me to pause and ponder is because that's it's so different from what we would tend to do. If I know that someone is about to betray me, chances are I would be very careful. I would probably isolate myself from that person. I would probably isolate that individual from the circle of my friends. But the way that Jesus treated Judas was not determined by what Judas, Judas deserved, but by the character of Jesus. And I think that that is a lesson for us all as well. And we should be thankful and grateful that that is the case. Because we don't want Jesus to treat us based on what we deserve, do we? We would like and we appreciate the fact that Jesus interacts with us based on his character and his love and not our works or what we deserve. Verse 65, and he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. You see, Jesus was not surprised by the response of a number of his disciples. He clearly stated that we cannot come to him on our own. It is the work of God and not our own doing. No one, in fact, can truly come to him, to him or which means be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, unless it is given to him by God. And it is important for us to remember that because we don't want to attempt to do that in our own terms, in our own strength, in our own ways. We, we receive that as a gift from God. And what we are called to do is to accept that gift, to appreciate that gift and to respond to that gift. Whatever miracle these people may have seen Whatever set of healings or, or sequence of great, amazing works they may have witnessed was not sufficient. Because faith does not come from miracles. I know so many people that sometimes say, well, if I could just see God at work in this, then I would believe. Probably not. 
These people saw Jesus himself in person performing great numbers of miracles and healings, and yet it was just not enough. They did not believe. Some people have faith seeing, some people have faith without seeing. But faith, which is the ultimate trust in God, comes from the Holy Spirit. It is given to us by God himself. And the miracles here are not the key to it. God is. So we're called to seek Him, a relationship with Him, a communion, a fellowship with Him, and not just to seek His works. Because He is the source of that faith, not the miracles. Verse 66, As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? The last statement sounds sad. But I know that Jesus knew that the disciples would not, the twelve, would not have left. He asked these questions, I believe, because he wanted to, for them to think about it, because they were affected by seeing so many of the other disciples leave. So John here, in the language that he used, referred to the departure of Jesus' disciples as an apostasy, as an abandonment of the faith. These disciples broke what is sometimes referred to as a peripathetic connection that they had with Jesus. In other words, they stopped work, walking with him. They stopped moving with him and in him. That's what that complex word, a difficult word means, is that we are in him and move in him and with him. In other words, they decided to go their own way. That also brings us to some thoughts about discipleship. If discipleship was, was about numbers, we might think that Jesus failed in his ministry. But what we find in here is that discipleship is not a number game. Jesus was not failing in his ministry. It is not what the Lord can do for us either. In other words, discipleship is not self-serving. It is about us faithfully following the Lord. After all, disciple means to be a follower, a student of someone. In this case, the Lord. It is about asking questions instead of making assumptions. Whenever I counsel with people or even when I teach a course or a class, I always tell the people, look, there is no question that is not legitimate. And the only problem question is the one that was never asked because it will never get an answer. We are called to ask questions. We are called to formulate questions and not make assumptions. So if Jesus said something that was very difficult, very hard to understand, then the disciple, like a student, would ask questions. Hey, Lord, what do you mean with that? What does that mean? Instead of making assumptions and being offended by that. In other words, we seek His truth. Instead of 
formulating our own truth and wanting him to confirm it or support it or or promote it. It's not about our truth. It is about the truth who is Jesus Christ and his word. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter's confession here of faith is very important. Even though he did not quite realize yet the full meaning of what he stated. And yet, even though Peter was not fully aware of that meaning, there is no condemnation here. And that brings us to realize and understand that our growth in Christ is progressive. We understand more and more. Sometimes we, we learn the wording, or sometimes we even state the wording, but then the full meaning of that comes later. He and the rest of the twelve were still growing and understanding, just like we do. But they did not give up. They believed what they had understood up to that point, they, what they had understood this far. And we're called to do the same. The nature of the confession of faith of Peter is such that the words of Peter really actually carried the full meaning of the incarnational and messianic confession of faith. That, that means the full meaning of what it meant for God to be incarnate, for God to become human in the person of Jesus. God the Son becoming not only fully God, but also fully human. And becoming the Messiah that the people were waiting for. The Anointed One. Peter understood that the hope of Israel rested in Jesus. He may not have understood exactly how, but he understood that the hope of Israel did rest in Jesus. And he did not give up like the other disciples had done. So Peter's words sound true even today. Where, where would we ever go to find eternal life? Because no one else can offer it. And many religious leaders don't even bother to, to talk about it. But it even goes further than that. It goes further than that because it, it calls us to think and meditate and take a very serious look at ourselves. Do we really desire eternal life? Why that strange question? Because all too often, we seek pleasure, possession, fun, happiness in this life to the point of not caring for anything but this life. And if that is the case, we're really missing on the big things. Sometimes I jokingly, I jokingly make the, 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 the comparison of God offering us a trillion dollars and us telling him 
No, I, I'm too busy shining my penny. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But that's what we do with life. We are so concentrated on, on the flesh. We are so concentrated on the temporary, on this blinking of an eye that we call life, that we neglect the true life that God offers for us, an eternal life in Him and with Him. So brethren, what are we in for? What are we looking for? If all we look for is happiness and comfort in this life, just like everybody else, we're going to be disappointed. If what we look for is self-serving, we too will be likely to be offended. And perhaps even some of us abandoning him. But you see, Jesus does not call us to be self-serving. He does not call us to pursue and chase after happiness and comfort. He gives us a great deal of joy, true joy, that does not depend on the circumstances like happiness does. But he calls us to follow him. It's about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, not even ourselves. Following Jesus, in fact, as Paul clearly taught later, means to be willing to die to ourselves so that we can be alive in Christ. And I want to like to explain that for, for a moment. To, to be dead, it means, it means that we're no longer active. When, when someone is, is down, unconscious, and there is no cardiovascular activity and no brain activity, that person is declared death. Death is the absence of activity. But to be alive in Christ, it means we're very active in that. So to be dead to ourselves, it means that we're no longer active for ourselves. We're no longer self-serving. We no longer live for ourselves. And to be alive in Christ, it means we live for Him, in Him, by Him, and through Him. We find meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. And we look forward to what He has in store for us. We look forward to that eternity that He has promised to us. We look forward to the fullness of His kingdom being manifest. And we pray like He encouraged us to do. May your kingdom come. That's the perspective of the true disciple. Not what the flesh has to offer. But what Jesus Christ has offered us. That yes, it begins in the here and now, but only to blossom in the immensity, in the infinity, and in the eternity of a life that we are destined to have with Him. That's what we look for. That's what we live for. That's why we exist. So brethren, if you have questions or concerns, please contact us and we'll be glad to, un to help you answer your questions and to find answers. Until next time, God bless you. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. 
for the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Undaunted radiance is not built on anything passing, but on the love of God that nothing can alter. The experiences of life, terrible or monotonous, are impotent to touch the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart. 
given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Amen.